at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the It's About the Yankees Stupid Podcast. I'm your host, Dominic Lanza, and tonight I'm joined by Scott Moss. Hi, Don. How are you? I am well, and EJ Fagan. Hi, Dominic. It's good to talk to you again. I, I missed your voice, EJ. Oh, me too, Dominic. <laughs> so, uh, since we last recorded, the Yankees have won some, lost some. They won four in a row before getting drubbed on Sunday. And Severino's last start, which will be a big topic for us tonight. Uh, right now, it's Monday, uh, about 10 to 9. The Yankees are beating the Blue Jays one zip. And uh, Aaron Judge had an RBI double. It's the Yankees' uh, sole run of the game so far. And I think it's safe to say that he's the best player in baseball already. I, I was really hoping <laughs> for the, the Chad Green equals the Mets and no hitters. Or have the Mets had a no hitter yet? Did I miss one? Uh, Santana threw one, and then his arm fell off. The okay, there we go. I was hoping, I was really hoping for for, uh, for for Chad Green to equal the Mets no hitters tonight. It only lasted to the fifth inning, but he's still better than you know the half of the Mets rotation. <laughs> but not he's Bartolo Colon. <laughs> he's pitching pretty well tonight. I mean, I already saw a few people on Twitter poking uh, poking holes because uh, Kevin Pillar and Jose Bautista are playing. You know, Kevin Pillar and his seventy eight WRC plus. Would I mean, really help that lineup. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this is an aside. We don't have to spend time on this, but I mean, the Blue Jays lineup is not great. I mean, it, it's not terrible, but you know, the, the back half of that lineup is pretty terrible. Well, it's mostly because of injuries. I mean, Upton's in there, and he's been terrible since the trade, but he was pretty good before. You know, Pilar has been slumping, but I mean, they're missing Bautista too. Yeah, I mean, it's an old lineup, and and I think I think this is the last year that we have to worry about the Blue Jays being a threat in the division. Not only are, are they aging, but you know you got you got Bautista leaving, and you know, it's nice to kind of see them fade off into the sunset. You know, just as the Yankees are rebuilding. Encarnacion's a free agent too, isn't he? Is he? Oh wow! Well, either way, I'm either pretty way, sure. I mean, either way, he's also sure. old. Um, you know, it, it, the Blue Jays are. Uh, I think this is their last shot at something. Might very well be, depending, but. Uh... You know, as, as EJ said, we're talking about the future a lot, and um, I think the best place to start is kind of a blend of the future and the present um, with Luis Severino, because he's been, I don't quite want to say jabbed this year, <laughs> but he's been a bounce between the rotation and the bullpen, and between the majors and minors. A lot of that has to do with him being hurt. Uh, even though part of me still kind of wonders if that was the he sucks, so let's give him a phantom DL stint to sort himself out sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's almost as though the Yankees have lost confidence in him as he's lost confidence in himself. Or at the very least, the Yankees are using him in the same sort of role that they're using Chad Green and Luis Sessa. 
which is at least a little disconcerting to me. Um, although at the same time, uh, I read on, uh, I think it was Eric Boland on Twitter said that if he spends another two weeks in the minors or so, the Yankees get an extra year of service time. So that could be part of their motivation too. But I'm, I'm not sure what they should do with him the rest of the year. I mean, it's got to be something with an, a hint towards the future, right? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, my, all your Scott. Good. Yeah, my take was that, look, a lot of the bouncing back and forth so far was totally justifiable because after the way he pitched last year, you have to give him a rotation spot. And then they gave him a long rope and sent him down. You bring him back and see if he got his head screwed on quickly. To me, the part that got troubling was bringing him up for a spot start because Eovaldi had an elbow problem or whatever. And really, if you're valuing his development after you've decided you're not a contender, which they're not, then you don't mess with the plan to give him three to six AAA starts just because you need a spot start. That's what guys like Sessa or Green were born for. Or, heck, stretch out Warren, make him go four innings or something, right? The uh, plan to send him down to the minors because... The fastball command is iffy, and that may or may not get better, but definitely his changeup needs work is what they're reporting in the fan graphs. Velocity data show the changeup has gotten too fast this year. If the plan is that we're not contending, so you send him down to become good in the long run, bring him up for a spot start where he just gets lit up <laughs> was borderline indefensible because, look, in sending him down because he needs work, you also told the man, you're not ready, right? So then after one start, you send him up against a major league team, You've told him he's not ready just before sending him out in a major league amount of starts. So I think that was the one where they really uh, blew the short-term call. And you hope that, look, the quotes from Severino show he seems to have a good attitude. So you hope it doesn't damage him, but they don't seem to be have thought that one through, I think. Yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm pretty much with you. I think the, the cause here is the horribly constructed Yankee 40-man roster at the moment. The Yankees are loaded up with relief pitching on their 40-man roster. And a lot of guys who frankly, could be DFA'd and it wouldn't be that big of a deal. I'm, I'm just going through the list right now of, of current players, uh, you know, not on the 25-man, but on the 40-man uh, pitchers. Johnny Barbato, Richard Blyer, Nick Goody, J.R. Graham, Ben Heller, Jacob Lindgren, who I believe is injured, um, uh, James Pazos, Nick Rumbelow, Luis Severino, Kirby Yates. Severino's the only starter there. And so, yeah, maybe you could stretch out a Luis Sessa or something like that. But it, it, the Yankees were almost forced into calling him up because they had nobody else and they had short notice. I think they needed to decide which of these guys is going to be around long term and put a Jordan Montgomery in one of their in the in the place of one of the guys who, who aren't. That's a really good point. My favorite member of that club is Swarzak, who, you know, I confess I hadn't really heard of the man until fairly recently when they called him up. But he's thirty years old. He's a righty, so he doesn't even have Blyer's ability to throw with the other hand. And I just don't see a lot of chance that Blyer is really going to be part of the next good Yankees team or that he's any less interchangeable with folks like Barbato or Goody or Rumble or whomever. So, yeah, the idea that you got to mess with Severino's up and down needs because Suarezak needs a spot on the roster seems a little odd. And, you know, it's not like, the, you know, they haven't been – like, these guys are new to the roster. Like, a guy like Ben Heller is new. They just traded for him. You know, he's not going anywhere. The Rumbelows and Swarzaks and Chase and Shreves and Kirby Yates of the world have been on this roster the entire season. And even back when they didn't need anybody good to pitch, you know, to, to pitch the innings that, you know, the big three weren't pitching – you know, they, they weren't doing very much. And, you know, the Yankees actually have good relievers at AAA that they can't call up because they can't decide who to send down. And they have good starters at AAA 
I'm right now I'm writing a post about Dietrich Enns, who is maybe the most dominant starting pitcher in the minors right now. Uh, strangely, he's not that great, but I mean, he's, he's got an ERA of like 1.8 in three years. Um, Jordan Montgomery, who's, who's looking really like a, like a, you know, a solid major league starter. These guys by all rights should be in the major leagues right now. And they're not. Um, and maybe that's the reason. I mean, maybe, maybe the Yankees really think that Michael Pineda can turn it around at some point. Maybe they really think that Chad Green's the long-term answer, but I, I think at some point, maybe in September, that's when you clear these guys out and you give the, the you know, guys with an actual future a chance. I'd be interested to see them give a chance to some of the guys you mentioned who aren't old necessarily, but are, I guess, older for prospect, like Dietrich ends, like you said, you know, he's, He's 25 years old. He'll be 26 right around opening day next year. And you're telling me there's nobody that they can get off that 40-man roster to give him a shot? Or yeah. Jordan Montgomery, who is a legitimate prospect in my mind. Not a top 100 guy, but you know he's had his slow and steady climb through the minors. He's almost had the same path as an Aaron Judge. You know, He spent half a year in low A, half a year in high A, half a year in double A, half a year in triple A. He's the sort of guy who you bring up in September for a spot start. Or, you know, one of those handcuff starts. Give him four innings, and then you have Adam Warren stretched out. He throws three, and then you go into the bullpen. There's so many things they can do other than jerking around who, you know, the pitcher who has arguably the highest ceiling of any pitcher in their organization. And lots more time than the other those other pitchers, right? Like Dietrich Enns, he's 25, right? He lost a season of Tommy John. He was a college pitcher. That's why he's he's only reaching AAA now, despite the fact that he's been, you know, basically sailing through the minors. But, like, he's, he's 25. This is his prime. You know, you don't. There's no reason to wait on him. Maybe, maybe you bring him up to the majors and he's not very good, and you send him down. and You never hear from him again. You know that that's fine. I think I think the Yankees are have always been for a long time afraid to DF to, to put players on their forty man that they might have to DFA. Right? They, they'll they'll keep these guys at AAA who are kind of good. And they're maybe not great, but kind of good because they want to preserve the asset because they can always you know just get rid of a, a Nick Goody and not really care too much. I I think. The strangest thing about this whole situation is just that I don't know what they should really even do about any of it for the rest of the year. Because for the rest of the year, you could probably say it doesn't matter. But I think the key to it all has to be figuring out what's best for Severino. And I think the, I think it has to just be consistency. Whatever role they pick for him, he just has to do it. You know, whether that's starting at AAA... Because the the Rail Riders are making it to the playoffs, so he could have plenty of starts throughout the end of the season in the playoffs. Or they could bring him up to start. Or if they want him to be a long reliever for the rest of the season, closely monitoring his pitch counts, keeping him on a regular routine but not making him start, you know, they have an opportunity to do that now too. But they have to have a plan and stick to it. I mean, I made the joke about him being jobbed, but, you know, this is largely what happened to Jabba Chamberlain. It's a much smaller sample size. We don't know that this is going to happen for two or three years, but I guess I've just seen them do it before, and I'm just so worried that they're going to panic at the slightest hint of issue, and all of a sudden their A-plus blue chipper is just another cog in their bullpen machine. Yeah, you know, we all like the rebuild, I think, and it's great that they're giving a full shot to Aaron Judge and as much shot to Tyler Austin as I think he's going to justify, as a couple of folks noted they could work him in. But I think what we're seeing is that they're not necessarily running their big league pitching staff 
like their rebuilding team, you know, to jerk up the prospect who we've decided needs more time, Severino, just because, sure, he might be your best bet to win that spot start game, but their goal isn't who can win the spot start game best. It's who can fill the spot while maximizing Severino's development. And similarly with the bullpen, you know, again, Swarzak versus, look, I know Mark Montgomery has had a tortured history in a lot of ways, but he's kind of killing it at AAA this year. He's 25. If you ask who has a better shot at being good and a useful above replacement bullpen cog in two years, Mark Montgomery over Kirby Yates, Swarzak, whoever is seemingly an obvious call, you know, see if he's got it back, got it together, etc. cetera. Um, so yeah, valuing these interchangeable righty middle relievers who throw in the low nineties and probably throw a slider with a fastball and not much else. I mean, that's the most fungible interchangeable commodity in baseball. So you really should be giving a shot to guys who you want to see for the future, not, well, Swarzak and Yates are a better bet to pitch a good seventh inning in the bigs than Mark Montgomery right now. I mean, not only that, like, let's say let's say they're trying to win games, right? They, they're still kind of in the playoff hunt, though. I think that's deceptively – they're deceptively far away from the playoff hunt. But let's say you're trying to win games. Severino doesn't help you win games. He's terrible. Like, he's the worst <laughs> starter in the major league. You could put – you could put – Pull some guy out of AAA that you've never heard before and roll the dice. He's probably better than Severino right now. So his ERA's above his ERA's above seven. I just saw a reference right after I finished my Severino blog post. I was pissed it came after. The average ERA of position players who pitch in the bigs, like when they throw Dean Anna out there or whomever or Ichiro, the average ERA of position players is somewhere in the sevens. Yeah, so, so Ron, Ronald Torres could beat Severino right now, right? I mean, <laughs> right, exactly. like, so, so why, why go? The only reason to to do it is is roster construction. But frankly, with all these relievers on the roster, call up three guys and do a relief pitcher game if you have to. If you need a spot start, you know, at the last minute, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and and it's, I, I, I get the instinct that you know Severino is a major league pitcher and a starter, and at times Severino has looked like he's just been unlucky, but. I mean, especially given you know, the last couple of months, I don't see how anybody can believe that Severino is is worth rolling out there every fifth day. Uh, not, in a, not for a team that's winning, but like Scott said, <laughs> if, the, if the goal is to rebuild, if the goal is to see what you have and what they can do, then you have them here. If the goal is to fix whatever problem he has, you, you put him with the, the coaching staff that can identify it, and fix it. If that's not Larry Rothschild and the big league staff, then, you know, it's the AAA staff. But he has to stick with whichever group it is. I agree. But, you know, there's also this this this, this kind of background problem of we don't know if he's a starter, right? I, I mean, the Severino was criticized early on for not having a starter's delivery. Um, Keith Law made this point quite a bit, and he was never really a big a big Severino fan, but other others did too. That he he was a guy who didn't use his lower half. And if you watch him pitch, you can absolutely see it, right? I mean, he's he's throwing the ball in there as hard as he can, but he's not he's not using his hips as, as much as 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 uh, um, you know most major league starters. And maybe that means he's a relief pitcher, right? Maybe Severino decides to go out there and you know, throw 100 mile an hour fastballs um, in relief, and and you know doesn't have to worry about this whole developing a changeup thing that hasn't worked out so well. It's actually funny to me because I think Severino is one of the easiest pitchers to really spot the quirk in his mechanics, other than somebody, you know, like Josh Colmenter, who looks like he throws the ball over his head. Um, he looks like a third baseman firing the ball across the diamond from a set position. He really doesn't look like a pitcher who's all arms and legs and drop and drive. And as somebody who's not a scout and 
has read precious little about scouting itself, I find it interesting that he's such a standout in that respect. And maybe my opinion has been skewed by what I've read and the results this season, or maybe it really is that obvious, but I just, I always thought that was interesting. He, he reminds me of a catcher who's been converted to relief pitching. Like Kenley Jensen? Yeah. Right, I mean, like these guys are, I can see that. You know, and they they just can't sustain it through through a lot of innings. I haven't actually looked at his numbers to see if Severino has like a third time through the order problem or something along those lines. But anecdotally, in my head, I see him collapsing in the fifth inning and allowing three home runs a lot. Um, so I mean, maybe that's where he's heading. And you know, it's disappointing because, as we just said, the Yankees have a trillion relief pitching prospects, and you know, maybe Severino's better than all the ones he's converted to. But we don't really know. Um, but I think the minor leagues is the place to answer that question. Um, and remember, he's still younger than Tyler Austin, than Aaron Judge, than Gary Sanchez. I mean, he's 22 years old. I think he was the youngest starter in the majors earlier uh, last year. Um, right, which is why it's, it's totally worth giving it another, heck, another full year to see if he can get it together enough to be a starter. I mean, yes, mastering the changeup, the fastball command, or and then once he has the changeup, then you could see if a third time through the order problem is A, just having two pitches or B, even with a third pitch, he doesn't have the stamina. But you have, like you're saying, given his age, the luxury of spending another year figuring it out. And you're optimistic they will. You just hope they don't shuttle him up and down every time they need a spot starter. And now hopefully they won't, given how badly this one went. In a way, it's, a gift, that this, it's, a, way it's a gift that this one went so badly. You know, if you threw five shutout innings, you could see them doing something stupid like saying, well, he's going to be in AAA for most of his starts, except when... Pineda wakes up with a tender hammy, in which case we'll drive Severino here from Scranton for the spot start. You know, I think hopefully this killed the idea that he's a minor leaguer slash spot starter on the shuttle. I think the idea of him spending another year in the minors perhaps or, you know, another X amount of time instead of being given a roster spot is a good point because people seem to forget that he really didn't spend all that much time in the minors. I looked earlier today. I'm pretty certain that he's thrown less than 250 innings in the minors you know the minors have shortened seasons and he would come up through rookie ball and everything but what is that i mean that's the equivalent of what two minor league seasons under his belt for a guy that didn't grow up in the united states who didn't pitch at high quality high schools or in you know major college conferences he has comparatively little experience so there's every reason to think that this could simply just be a you know an issue of him not having the experience to know how to deal when a player can catch up to his fastball and can let him throw himself into trouble. Whereas hitters on the minors, you know, the first two or three steps of the way are just not able to do so. And if you look at his progression, like he, he, he dominated the minors through double a up until he hit triple a and at triple a, his strikeout rate fell off. Um, his contact rate went up. Uh, his control had been slowly getting worse as he reached the high minors. And, you know, this season he's only striking out eight per nine. Like that, Luis Severino is not going to be a dominant pitcher if he's only striking out eight per nine. He's done he's done roughly the same in the um, in, in the major leagues. But the one difference is throughout his entire minor league career, he did not allow home runs. He was a low, he was a, he was a, one of the best home run preventers in the Yankee system. And he's allowed a ton in the majors. And so, I mean, yeah, every major league pitcher is allowing a ton in the majors right now. But I mean, if he can figure that problem out and get, you know, the strikeouts up, the home runs down a little bit, you know, there's still a dominant starter in there. Yeah, and Dom's point is a good one that this isn't a guy with a lot of experience. I just checked in. He joined the Yankees system at 18, so he wasn't one of those guys who started at 16 or 17. 
And he only with this last disastrous start did he hit 500 innings at all levels of professional baseball. So that's actually that not that much time. And when you consider that, as EJ noted, a guy who's blowing away rookie A and double A ball probably didn't feel uh, the fastball and sliders got everybody out. So, yeah, my guess is the guy's only had to take his changeup seriously the past two years, year and a half since he got called up. So maybe that's why I think the team has some optimism that he's worth still trying as a starter, which we all agree on, but that's to say he needs more time. And it is unusual for a guy who pitched as well as he did last year in uh, the bigs to need more time, but he does. Yeah, so I think we're all kind of in agreement then that he should probably spend a little bit more time in the minors. Um, I, I think the overarching theme is certainly that they just need to figure out what the heck they're doing overall. I mean, is that is that fair to you? You know, the Yankees normally have plans. I mean, like the Jabba rules were a plan. Like they, they actually, especially that second Jabba season, they, their plan was Jabba's going to start and relieve. He's going to transition to the rotation. He's going to transition back to relief. It was a dumb plan, frankly. Um, you don't see people tuning the, 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 the multiple transitions within season all that often um, and probably hurt his shoulder and destroyed his career because he was a pretty good major league starter while he, he was starting. Um so this is weird for the Yankees. Like I might, the, the Yankees are usually maybe, maybe they just have too much faith in Severino. Maybe they 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 saw the first half of the season and said the guy's just unlucky. His home run per fly is going to come down. Um, let's just keep keep throwing him out there. But I don't know what to say about the last few weeks. Yeah, and you worry that the mixed messages decrease the tough love they were giving him. So when they first sent him down a couple weeks ago, Girardi had a quote. There's something close to. I don't care about the results. I want to see him throwing X percent change-ups at Scranton. And when that goes well, he gets called back up. Right? And in a way, though, they killed that message by saying last week, or when we kind of need you because something happens to one of our starters. I mean, what that was sending to Severin is the message that when we say you're sent down until you throw X percent change-ups and nail it, we don't necessarily mean it. We're kind of fickle. So you could not throw the changeups or not really master it and we'll probably call you back. You know, so but look, I'm optimistic that Severino, all of his quotes haven't seemed anything other than the guy has a solid head and his shoulders and a positive attitude. So I think he'll try. I'm optimistic that he's going to do his best and the team will do their best to have him get it together. And if in a year, say mid next year or whenever, it seems like he can't learn to change up or he's never gonna have the stamina, then if they move into a bullpen, I'm you know, reasonably confident that it'll be an informed decision. I think part of what led this discussion, or led me to think of this discussion being a necessity, and I think this is a good place to leave off just because it really hammers home the lack of a plan as compared to Jabba Chamberlain and the Jabba rules. Um, Scott pointed out that the Yankees have been talking a lot about his changeup. Girardi talked about it. Severino talked about it. Larry Rothschild talked about it. I think Cashman even talked about it. In his two starts since coming back from the bullpen, coming out of the bullpen in the majors, he threw a total of six changeups, at least and according to reason, Brooks Baseball. That's a good catch. And that's the reason you send the guy down. You send the guy down because in the majors, you can't say, my changeup is bad, so I will make 30% of my pitches to major league hitters my bad pitch that I need to work on because it is bad. You can do that as Scranton because you're pitching to you know guys like Ike Davis, whom the Yankees just released. So... Yeah, calling him up isn't just a waste of messing with his head. It's preventing him from working with the changeup because, you know, there was no way he was going to throw one-third changeups uh, when he got called back up. 
And the minor league, system, uh, minor league season doesn't have that much more time in it, right? So there's some time running out. Both of you want to hit his his free agency clock, which I fully support the Yankees hitting. Um, especially, maybe even they can keep him down a full year next year, and that, that, will, that will really set it back. So he's still young, and I'd like his prime years. Um, but also, you know, at some point, this is going to have to wait until spring training to rectify. If you don't send him down now, even now, you've got, what, four starts, maybe? Um, you know, that's, that's not enough on how to far they go in the playoffs. Yeah, and maybe you send him to instructional league. I don't think he's eligible for his, the Arizona Fall League anymore. And so, you know, at this point, you know, your time is running out. Let's, let's get him down there to work on stuff. So moving on, um, Scott had an excellent idea about a way we can structure our discussions probably for the rest of the season um, and even into the offseason. And that's digging into the organizational depth chart a little bit. Instead of just looking at you know the top 10 prospects or the players that are leaving as free agents, the players that could be traded, we figured maybe we could blend them all together and look at it position by position. So that's what we're going to do. Um, plain and simple, we'll start with catcher, and then we'll work our way around the diamond, and then eventually to the mound. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to add about this, Scott? No, that makes sense to me, you know, because we're now at the point where it's much more interesting to think through who's on the horizon next, and this is where you look at it. Hey, folks, we had some technical difficulties while we were introducing a a little bit about the catchers uh, within the Yankees organization, but thanks to the magic of editing, we should be fully back on board with you. Uh, and we were leading things off by talking about Brian McCann. Uh, you get to miss some of the bad radio we had trying to remember what Brian McCann's contract was. <laughs> but for the uninformed, uh, he will earn $17 million a year for the next two years. That's 2017 and 2018. And he has a vesting option for 2019, which vests if he has 1,000 total plate appearances and at least 90 games caught in 2018. Uh, I think that the Yankees are exploring trading him. He was linked to the Braves, I suppose, for the Braves want to have a known popular player when they open their new stadium next year. And he did clear waivers, which means he can be traded for another player that either cleared waivers or is not on a 40-man roster prior to the August 31st uh, waiver tread deadline. And I suspect that the Yankees' goal is to trade him prior to the beginning of next season. I'm not sure if that'll happen, but I think there's a greater than 50% chance that he'll be on the move. Uh, the greatest hang-up to that is, as I insinuated, his contract, because he's the second-highest-paid catcher in baseball behind Brian McCann. Yeah, the Yankees are going to have to Buster be... Posey. Yeah, the Yankees are going to have to eat some of that contract to get rid of him. I mean, he's not a minus player yet. He's not uh, last year's Jacoby Ellsbury or something, right? But he is, um, he's clearly declining. I think he's probably going to further decline from here. I think it's telling that the Braves are the team that's interested in them, and the Braves are less interested right now in maximizing the number of wins on their team as they are in opening their stadium with somebody people like. Um, and, you know, I, I, let's think about, like, the actual arguments for keeping McCann, right? So the one argument is... You don't want to pay anybody to for him. You don't want to pay him to play somewhere else. And to me, that's kind of a crappy argument because you can replace him with very little. There's a sunk cost going on there. And if you know taking some salary back brings back a prospect, I think it becomes worth it there. Second, is he is he a mentor to um, to Austin Romine and more importantly Gary Sanchez? I don't think he is. I, I think the Yankees have plenty of mentors on this team: Joe Girardi, Tony Pena, 
Scott and I talked about this last week. And the third argument is, does he really help you win? And I don't think he does. I think the Yankees are better off with Gary Sanchez in the lineup every day than they are with Brian McCann in the lineup every day. Even if Brian McCann's a better defensive player, a lot of his defensive value um, has gone away with uh, pitch framing, essentially uh, umpires pretty obviously being um, uh, more uh, attentive to the, the, the players who are on the top of the pitch framing leaderboards. Yeah, I agree. And if you look at the big picture, McCann's been on average, almost exactly average, his first two and a half years with the Yankees. But he's clearly slowed down. This year he's on pace for about 1.5 or even if you add in a little pitch framing value, he's at best average, probably a little below average. So you have a guy who's 32 and a half who's uh, logged about 12 years of catching on those legs and is now a little below average. The odds of him being a better catcher than Sanchez in his age 33, 34, and 35 seasons just seem really low because Sanchez, let's assume he's an average defensive catcher and his ratings in the minors seem very good now and his uh, arm has always been very good with base runners. And while he hasn't had that much time in the majors, everything just indicates he's already a major league hitter, probably a plus hitter. So I find it hard to see McCann as not uh, as anything other than their second best catcher at this point. So what's interesting is that if they don't trade him and this is leverage that might make him accept the trade offer, I don't see him getting to the vesting option because what are the odds that in three years they're not giving Gary Sanchez 80 starts of catcher, right? Odds seem really good. So I think the option is not going to vest his time behind the plate as the number one catcher seemed done, should be done. You'd hope that they prevail upon him to, Except the trade, and I'm with EJ. You dump him. Crazy fact, though. Brian McCann, for all as you know, much in decline as he obviously is, is the third best AL catcher by WRC+. <laughs> <laughs> the catching is terrible right now. I mean, I think that's part of the optimism for Gary Sanchez. Right? I mean, the AL catchers have hit this season, on average, 226, 292, 374. I mean that's just that's just bad. Like the the the, the AL catching is in a rut. Um, you know Brian McCann is essentially kind of in the middle of the like good but not great group of catchers. But I mean his peers are Kurt Suzuki, Stephen Vogt, Jared Saltalamakia, uh, declining Russell Martin, Jason Castro. Like these guys are all just about as good as Brian McCann. I don't think you're losing much by getting rid of him. And I like him. Like if you see Brian McCann being interviewed, he's clearly a smart guy. He's probably a future manager. Um, but I I don't think the Yankees need that right now. Which also shows that he probably has trade value because most teams do not have a catcher as good as even uh, current and next year's Brian McCann. Yeah, and especially if the Yankees are willing to take money. Like the Yankees, maybe the Yankees are, are holding out for somebody to you know get rid of that full $17 million. But it feels like the Yankees are going for that $189 million threshold or whatever it will be after the CBA this year. Um, so, you know, maybe the Yankees are just desperately trying to get under that threshold. So they're trying to find anybody to take the full salary. Um, but, you know, if somebody can take half of his salary and give you back a prospect, that's real value. You know, another reason to trade uh, him it'll be is that... To see if- oh, sorry, saying another reason to really try to trade him is that, you know, I liked Austin Romine for a while, and he still is fine as a backup catcher, but I think that it's pretty clear at this point that he's a tick above replacement level and not much else. He doesn't make that much contact, doesn't draw walks, doesn't have power, and his fielding is a little above average, but... You know, he's not um, some prime premium defensive catcher, which is to say that I think you're not going to get anything like a good reliever for him or um, Aaron Hicks when we thought he had potential like you got for 
um, the last two catchers they traded. But that's to say that I think Romine probably has basically no trade value at this point or very little, um, which is to say that there's uh, there's no real option of saying, well, you dump Romine and then you have Sanchez and McCann split up, catcher DH and McCann rotates into first base. I think that doesn't work. I think you have to give up McCann and just say Romine's the backup for Sanchez. Yeah, I don't think we should be getting any real expectations for Romine at this point. I mean, he kind of started off strong uh, in, in – um, yeah, you know, at the beginning of the season, and he's now he's a now a below average hitting catcher who you know maybe you kind of run by the rule of like you know any bad hitting catcher is a good defensive catcher, which is BS. Um, <laughs> but you know he's not he's not special back there. I don't think anyone is saying that he's the next you know Molina back there. Uh, but I mean, if you look at his AAA numbers, he's a career two fifty one three oh seven three seventy one hitter at AAA. Um, you know maybe AL catching is bad enough that that's a valuable backup right there. But I you know if if the Yankees, you know, uh, were to not, they're not going to DFA him, but were to trade him for a reliever, you know, do a do a JR Murphy kind of trade, um, or I'm sorry, or Francisco Cervelli kind of trade, JR Murphy was trade for Aaron Hicks, um, or you know, basically just kind of just let him sit back there. I think that's perfectly fine. Um, Kyle Higashoka, uh, who we, we want to talk about here, is really having a good minor league season, which is weird because he's not supposed to be good. Where, like, Kyle Hikishoka was, like, the odds-on favorite for, like, the 2018 manager of the Charleston River Dogs. And he's not – like, that's not that's not what's happening anymore. Like, he's good. Like, he's now good. He's hitting for power uh, in a way that he's never done in his career. I mean, he's uh, – um, you know, at AAA this season, he's slugging 692 um, in only 21 games. But, I mean, he, he hit well at AA as well. I mean, I actually kind of think I'd rather see him be given a chance. And Austin Romine's out of out of options, so that doesn't really help very much. But put him on the 40-man roster for uh, uh, for September. It'll be interesting to see if they do that because um, Mike Exis of River Avenue Blues actually wrote a bit about him breaking out this year um, because he's coming off of surgery and a lot of the indicators have been that he's had above-average power throughout his career it's just never really been you know this good um and you know he's at an age you know he's in his mid-20s now where power really starts to spike and his pedigree is good i mean he signed to a way above slot signing bonus way back when so i'm not gonna say i remember remember saying kyle hushoka is you know the next uh you know you know austin romine essentially yeah, I mean, this isn't this isn't to say that he's going to have a 600 slugging percentage, but there's a reason to think that there's more to this breakout than, you know, this being a breakout. I mean, honestly, I'm a little skeptical, but it's not like it's not like you're risking very much, right? Again, if he's a guy you put in the 40 man roster and he turns out to be terrible, and you know, in May you have to DFA him so you can pick up Chris Stewart, it's not the end of the world. Um, and he's also a guy who, who was a minor league free agent and stayed with the New York Yankees. And so you might not even be losing him if you were to say outright him to the minors. Yeah, and another reason to not be too unduly skeptical of a guy putting it together at age 26 is he missed most of two years. So, you know, catcher's a position you need to learn more than some other positions, I think. And if you miss two years of development, then, yeah, you know, there's, in other words, it's more plausible that you have a late bloomer at 26 at catcher than first base, for example. So I'm a little less automatically skeptical of the guy who put it together this late. And do I think that he's going to be an ex-superstar? No. But is it likely, for example, that he's about as good as Austin Romine? Yeah, Romine never hit a AAA like, um, you know, Higashoka is doing this year or did a AA and AAA. 
the very least, it's kind of a, I don't know if it's a falls into a strength, but it's kind of one of those good problems to have. If you have a guy that's even worth having a dis- discussion about in the upper minors at a position as shallow as catcher. Yeah, and you know, I think it's better than signing some like random terrible major league veteran. Um, but you know, I, you know, thinking about it, Hoki Shoka is actually going to force the Yankees' hand because he's a free agent after this season as well. So you know, there's no there's no downside to adding him to the forty man roster. And we've talked about the forty man roster being messed up. I mean, the cost of adding him to the forty man roster is DFAing Nick Goody, right? I, I no one Nick Goody might stay in the organization anyway, right? There's no one's really going to, to bat an eye when that happens. So you know, why not give give the guy a shot? And at the very least, you know, you got to reward your organizational warriors. And, and you know, when, when I when I like glance down at the stats like a month ago, and all of a sudden realized that Higashoka was slugging a billion. I, uh, I was shocked, I mean, because the guy's been around forever, and it kind of made me feel kind of good, and I bet it kind of makes, makes some people in the Yankee organization feel kind of good, because, you know, this is a guy who's been at every spring training since, I believe, 2009. Yeah, I mean, he's been around forever. He's, he's a known commodity, or if not a known commodity, he's a name that everybody recognizes. Maybe not everybody can pronounce it, but, <laughs> you know, he's somebody that's been in the organization. The organization clearly see some value in him by keeping him around after surgery and promoting him in line with his production. You know, he's never really been a floater like you see with some org guys. So, you know, the Yankees may or may not have seen something and he seems to be rewarding them by having a big old breakout season. I mean, if it came down to it, I almost feel like he might have more trade value than Austin Romine. Could be because there's more ceiling. And, you know, per uh, EJ's point, which I never really thought about until we started chatting this in the last podcast about the 40-man roster as a scarce resource, who is more valuable in the sense of being a less replaceable commodity? A, one of the many miscellaneous right-handed relievers who throws 92 to 93 and has a slider, and you can insert six names there. And it seems like, honestly, they could just find four new ones every year. Is that a more rare commodity or is a catcher tearing it up at AAA who seems to be good defensively, even if it might be a mirage? I think the catcher who's, you know, had a breakthrough at 26 after missing time, but is killing it in the minors uh, offensively and defensively. That's a much more um, valuable lottery ticket than righty reliever who's middling number eight. Yeah, agreed. So we haven't talked much about Gary Sanchez. (laughs) Throughout all of this, we're kind of buried the lead talking about Kyle Higashoka, right? Like, I think he can play baseball fairly well. Gary Sanchez is great. I mean, Gary Sanchez is, I think, one of the more underrated prospects in the minor leagues. Um, you know, we were we were talking before the, the little weird editing thing. We were kind of tooting our own horns a little bit where we said that we were like the last people saying, like, we still love Gary Sanchez, guys. Just don't get fatigued about him because, we, yeah, he's been around for seven years, but he's only 23 and he's never really been bad. Um, you know, th- there's, I think there's three pieces of information that came out about Gary Sanchez that's worth mentioning um, in the last couple of weeks, or at least you know, late in the season. The first is that Baseball America rated him the best catcher in the International League. Now, there are some brand-name catchers in the International League. There are some you know, AAA catchers in the, in, the, in, in the International League. But regardless, right, that means he's not Jesus Montero. He's a guy that you know, trained scouts, managers, uh, managers and scouts in AAA when surveyed say this guy is really good, um, or at least this guy is better than anybody else here. I think that's that's something, right? That tells us that you know Gary Sanchez is probably a long term major league catcher at least for the time being. 
Um, you know, Jesus Montero, no one really thought he was a long-term catcher. Some people thought he could fake it there for a couple of years because he wasn't, he didn't have a body. He was not, he was not an athletic guy. Number two, Sanchez has been really good at AAA this year. I wrote a post about this earlier this week called Hail Gary Sanchez because I was all excited. Um, what, what the, the conclusion of this post was, was that Gary Sanchez has become a powerful contact hitter. And that's very rare. He's got a guy with a 14.4% strikeout rate at AAA while with an ISO well over 150. Very few major league players have that profile. Those players are guys like David Ortiz. They're guys like uh, Didi Gregorius somehow. Um, and and you know, <laughs> other very good hitters. That, that's something that, that bad hitters don't do. Brian McCann strikes out far more than that. Um, so Gary Sanchez has that going. So he can hit. He can field. And I think we, we've also we've, – we've seen him called up to the major leagues and the Yankees are comfortable playing him. And I think that's something that was never the case with Gary Sanchez and, frank, frankly, hasn't been the case for a lot of catcher call-ups. Right? The Yankees have been essentially a veteran catcher organization for a long time where they've said, we're, we're going to go with Chris Stewart because we don't want you know, anyone else messing with our, uh, our pitching staff. Um, and I think he's got more starts than Brian McCann over the last week. Um, you know, uh, he's been DHing as well, but he's also been starting a catcher. So I think this guy's. I think this is the guy you bet on, and it's the perfect time for the Yankees to bet on, on, on it because they're not going to win next year. Yeah, but the knocks on Sanchez and the reason he got underrated are threefold. One is prospect fatigue, which you guys have talked about in the past. That after a certain number of years, it's hard to be still excited about him. Uh, but that's because he started so young. I think they drafted him when he was eight, so he's been around forever. <laughs> the second is not just Jesus Montero, but I feel like there's a general tendency that when you have an offense-first catcher, um, there's a tendency to underrate it and say, well, of course he's not going to stick at catcher because four out of five offense-first catchers at single A and double A don't stick at catcher. But given credit, he is the one out of five who did improve. And this gets to the third point, which is that he apparently was kind of a punk and a jerk in his late teens, <laughs> early 20s. And, you know, so are most guys. And, yes, many of us don't grow out of it. But, again, give him credit that Montero didn't. We'll see if Jose Mateo, Jorge Mateo does. And uh, it seems like from the way he learned the position and has gotten solid reviews and been promoted, it seems like he has. So, yes, I think there's a, there's a rational sense the past couple of years that most people of the same type, the offense first catcher who's kind of a dick, as – both Montero and Sanchez don't make it, but you know, all the more reason to be impressed that Sanchez has. Yeah. I like the idea yeah. of a false parallel between them, right? Like, cause, cause right. because they were, they were like similar prospects who basically had the same profile. Um, you know, we, we kind of equate the two. We're like, Oh, he's not good at defense. He can never be because Jesus Montero wasn't, um, or, Oh, you know, those attitude problems are going to roll into really poor, poor conditioning in the long term because Jesus Montero didn't, but they're different players. And just because they're in the same organization and they were signed, I think a year and a half apart, doesn't mean that they're going to have the same fate and all signs. The, the, the defensive signs are so strong on Sanchez or much, much stronger than Montero that I, I, I think that the floor is kind of high. Unlike Montero, who, you know, if he couldn't stick at, at catcher, had to hit like a first baseman in order to be good. And you know something? Montero could hit for a catcher. If he had stuck at catcher and had been reasonably defensively, he'd be in the major leagues right now. Uh, but he couldn't play that position, so he, and he showed up fat. Um, and so he couldn't, <laughs> he, he couldn't uh, stick there. No joke. I literally just in talking to my eight-year-old when he was being kind of attitudinal and not willing to work, I literally spent like 10 minutes on a car ride on the ballad of 
Gary Sanchez versus uh, Jesus Montero as what happens to you if you have all the talent in the world but <laughs> decide to remain a punk, whereas Gary Sanchez, who was sort of the same guy in some ways, uh, finally got it together, got his attitude together. I said, and that's why in three years, Jesus Montero is going to be working in retail, whereas Gary Sanchez is going to make about $40 million with his career easily. You know, fun fact, you joked about scouting a kid at eight. Uh, the Yankees scouted, I believe, Austin Jackson at 11. <laughs> Jesus. I know, right? <laughs> but it's, I, I think, my biggest takeaway from this, and it's why I'm really excited to start talking about other positions next week, um, is just that this is kind of the first time in my life as a Yankees fan where there's this combination of hope for the future with the Yankees having a mindset that that's what they're doing. And that's not to say that I'm a suffering Yankees fan, because I've seen plenty of success in my lifetime, so much so that I'm probably spoiled to some extent. But this team hasn't been watchable for the last couple of years, and it's it's gotten worse and worse every year since 2009. And I don't care about them winning the World Series every year. I just like the idea that they'll be in going in a positive direction, and that's where they're heading right now, and they seem to have the pieces to do it. And I can't really ask for much more. Dominic, were you watching live when Tyler Austin and Judge hit the home runs? Yes, I was. I screamed like it was... Like like, like Derek Jeter's last at-bat was the last time I screamed that hard uh, at a baseball game when Judge hit that second home run. And I think my neighbors like were... Figure, trying to figure out what the hell was going on because that was awesome. That was fun. Like that, that's the most fun I've had as a Yankee fan in again, since Derek Jeter just, you know, had the best last I've had of, 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 you know, of anyone. But. Uh, I, I have my phone right now. I was texting my friend about the game who wasn't watching. And uh, I texted him in all caps. Tyler Austin is the goat greatest of all time. <laughs> and three minutes later, I texted him. Holy shit. JK. Aaron Judge is the GOAT, all caps again. So I, I guess that's a good testament to my mindset, right? Yeah, did you hear the, the Sterling call for Judge? Completely disappointing. Oh, no. It, it, it was something along the lines of, like, the Judge has arrived or something like that. He didn't even have one prepared for Austin. But there's so <laughs> many opportunities with the word Judge. Like, you could, yeah, just, you know, tie, it's far, it's gone. You've just been judged. A home run by, by Aaron, or whatever, right? <laughs> judge like, slams the gavel. Yes. Oh, yeah, you guys are lawyers. Come on, come up with, like, ten. Let's do a whole post about this. This would be fun. We're going to have Austin 316 for Tyler Austin do the glass breaking. <laughs> uh, someone came up with the Austin, much, Tyler Austin to, powers. <laughs> getting back to how much fun it was to see that, you hope this provides some positive reinforcement to Hal on the gang, who, you know, had to pretend that they're not giving up on the season when they made those big trade deadline moves. And they said, we just want to make room for Judge, and we don't think we've gotten worse. And of course they've gotten worse, but hopefully <laughs> they see that, yes, they're a worse team, but they're actually a much more watchable and exciting team. I mean, yes, they were going to win a couple more games with Chapman and Miller and Beltran than with these guys. Maybe not if Judge keeps on his... Uh, 162 home run pace or whatever it is but they're much more fun and watchable and hopefully they're seeing that there's excitement fans are happy hopefully they read twitter feeds or something i don't know if they do but you know hopefully there's positive reinforcement that uh rebuilding doesn't mean you've turned your team ugly it means you're building something and it can actually be much better to watch 
I, I think that they're aware of the symbolism. I mean, I guess we're kind of getting off track here, and Dominic was trying to wrap us up. But the last thing, yeah. I think they're aware of the symbolism because they cut A-Rod on the Friday before 1996 day, before the day they called up Tyler Austin and Aaron Judge, and two days before Mariano Rivera Day. So they, they kind of had this, like, clean symbolic break where they brought in all the old retired guys to, you know, to show off to Gary Sanchez, Tyler Austin, and Aaron Judge um, and kind of, like, kind kind of – I'm assuming internally, like, you know, behind when the cameras aren't on, there was a torch passing of some kind. And to me, that's, that's, that's amazing. That, that, that is, that's, that is the plan right there. And I think I somewhat, that's not a coincidence that those things all happen simultaneously. Yeah. And I'd really love to talk about this all night, but I mean, for, for the sake of our listeners, <laughs> I know the audio has had some issues and I know, People have been really happy when we kept this in the 30 to 45 minute range. And I think we're encroaching on an hour a little bit, though. How much of that uh, is actually listenable? I'm not sure, both because of the audio issues and our ramblings. But uh, I think for now, we're going to call it a night. And uh, next time we talk, we're definitely going to tackle first base. Um, Maybe we can get a couple positions done next time. Maybe second base. Uh, We probably won't talk about Ref Snyder because we said some mean things about him before tonight. Now I assume uh, we're ma- going to spend their next hour on Chris Parmalee exclusively. <laughs> <laughs> the Chris Parmalee experience. <laughs> right. Um, the whole podcast. <laughs> but, no, uh, if there's anybody you want us to profile in any of these positions, uh, let us know. And because we haven't been saying this lately, uh, uh, EJ, are we, we still on iTunes? We're still on iTunes. You can rate and review us using the link that's on our website. So on all the... All of the posts on our website where this podcast is, there'll be links to rate us, there'll be links to review us, um, there'll be links to subscribe if you're not already subscribed to the RSS feed. It's also on the right sidebar. It's everywhere. Please subscribe to us. We're still trying to grow this podcast. Now that we have Scott on board, we're hoping that at least two of us will be available every week so we can do this every week. Definitely. And rating and review us, reviewing us helps us because it pushes her up, pushes us up the leaderboards, lets us know what you like, don't like. Um, and sometime soon, we'll probably come back with a, an all-questions-answered podcast, because those are always a lot of fun. But for the time being, uh, this is us signing off. Have a good night, everybody. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry, from delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.